Elizabeth Meyer Bolton says that Nellie Meyer, her grandmother, in her prime, was a force to be reckoned with. Tall, full-figured, and bold. She loved a good hat, a pretty dress, and fire engine red lipstick. In the 1950s and 60s, with the threat of nuclear war looming, Nellie stockpiled her basement with cans of tomatoes, tuna, and bean salad. During the sugar shortage of the 70s, she filled her cupboards with sugar, brown, refined, and raw. When the energy crisis came, she became obsessed with keeping the needle of her Buick's gas gauge above three-quarters of a tank. Every other day, she would wait in long lines to fuel up. Her husband could never understand this, and one day he'd had enough. He said, my goodness, Nellie, do we really need to wait for, in line for gas again? We've got three-quarters of a tank. And her response, which became well-known to all the family, was, well, Jimmy, of course we have to wait in line. We've got to get that gas before the hoarders do. <laughs> Nellie Myers wanted to be ready for anything. People for, who are ready for anything don't leave home unless they look their best because they fear someone would look down on them if they didn't. Or perhaps they fear they'll need Band-Aids, gum, tissues, or a screwdriver immediately so they carry a handbag with all of those things inside. Some fear that they'll get old without someone to take care of them, and so they purchase long-term health insurance, and they set aside more than enough money for retirement. As the Chinese proverb goes, dig the well before you get thirsty. None of this preparation is bad in itself. Being ready for anything can save a lot of stress and sometimes save a life. So here the subtle difference this scripture invites us to consider. What drives your preparation? Fear or faith? Are you ready for anything out of fear? Or are you ready for anything out of faith? Sometimes we operate out of fear. Fear is a basic and necessary instinct. Without it, we would die earlier and get hurt more often. But sometimes our fears run amok and they take over our lives. And that's when it gets bad. And when that happens, Jesus says to us from this passage in Luke 12, do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Jesus wants us to know that the life of fear is not fully the life of God. Not once, but multiple times, Jesus says it to all of us. Do not be afraid. To the disciples on the boat that was being buffeted by the winds, Jesus said, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. To Peter, James, and John, when they had fallen on the ground and were overcome by fear at the transfiguration, Jesus came and touched them, saying, get up and do not be afraid. To the shocked Mary Magdalene and the other Mary at the empty tomb, Jesus said, do not be afraid. 
Go and tell my brothers to go to Galilee. There they will see me. Here, Jesus says it again. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. The simple moniker that Jesus throws in there, little flock, is another clue that God, as our shepherd, has our best interest in mind. And then this kingdom, which it is God's good pleasure to give us, is not the kingdom that will come at the end of time. The beginning of Mark's gospel, Jesus said it himself, the kingdom of God is at hand. When Jesus came, he brought the kingdom with him. While we strive for perishable rewards like square footage, exquisite food, and the look of youth, Jesus reminds us that the imperishable kingdom of God is the more worthy goal. With one answer, Jesus answers two questions. One of the questions, how do we release our fears? And the other, how do we attain God's kingdom? And so here it is. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near and no moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. These words are a common part of our Christian heritage, and to speak them is very easy. To live them is very not It's extremely challenging, even though it's eternally rewarding. Sell your possessions and give alms. Make purses for yourselves that do not wear out an unfailing treasure in heaven. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. That's sort of how I hear him saying it. Maybe we can compare this to catch and release fishing. We fish for money. We fish for beautiful possessions. We fish for security. And then in the rules of Jesus tournament, he calls us to release the treasures that we've caught. There's an old story about a church in Kansas that needed a new treasurer. The deacons asked one of their members, the manager of the local grain elevator, to take the job. The man spent the evening praying about it, and then he told them, I'll take the position on two conditions. First, no reports are required for a year. And second, no one asks me any questions for a year. The man was trusted, he was respected, honest, well-known, and so though the deacons were a little fearful, they finally agreed They all did business with him anyway, and he was well-known. They felt confident enough. So at the end of the year, the treasurer gave his annual report to the congregation. The debt of the church building had been paid in full. Several new buses had been purchased and paid for. All the mission commitments had been met. There were no outstanding bills, and there was a surplus 
of several thousand dollars. Well, now that they could ask questions, of course, the inevitable one was, how? How can this be? How did this happen? And he said, it's simple. Most of you bring your grain to my elevator. As you did business with me during the year, I withheld 10% on your behalf and gave it to the church in your name. You never missed it. Well, we can imagine the emotions of the congregation upon hearing that anger at their treasurer for having stolen their grain during the year, in a way, or that might have been their sense, but also the wonder that they had never missed it. They had more than they knew. They had caught more than they realized, and therefore had plenty to release. Catching is second nature for us as Americans. A&E has a reality TV show devoted to catching and not releasing. Have you seen it? Called Hoarders. We ran across this one night. People become so attached to their collections or their newspapers or their clothes or the things that they intend to need one day that they're climbing over their stuff to get just from one room to another in their house. Their children are removed from their homes by social services. Their homes become health hazards. Now, most of us aren't to that point, but this hoarding is a symbol of how we catch things and we hold on to them out of fear. The releasing part is the difficult part for us. Think about your own possessions. Among them, what is one thing you know you could give up and not miss it all that much? Just picture it in your mind. I'm not talking about family members. But can you picture one possession or one set of possessions in which you would find freedom by giving it away? Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. It's ironic that releasing our possessions back to God is one way that we can be ready for anything that God wants us to do. And so Jesus continues with another version of readiness that we spoke about in our opening prayer and our call to worship, be dressed for action. Gird up your loins. Be dressed for action and have your lamps lit. You have to think back to the old days now. Servants, slaves in the home, big wedding in town, the bridegroom comes home, and the servants are ready to receive him. They have everything ready that he needs. So that's the picture. Be like those who are waiting for their master to return from the wedding banquet so that they may open the door for him as soon as he comes and knocks. This idea of being dressed for action is not new to Jesus. It's not new to any of the people who were listening to him. If you remember Jewish history and the Passover It was the same phrase that they used there for when they were supposed to be ready to leave slavery in Egypt. 
Gird up your loins. Be dressed and ready for action. This is how you are to eat the Passover meal, they were told, with your cloak tucked into your belt, your sandals on your feet, your staff in your hand, ready to go. Be prepared to move because blessed, continuing with Jesus' words, blessed are those slaves whom the master finds alert when he comes. Truly, I tell you, he will fasten his belt and have them sit down to eat, and he will come and serve them. Well, here's that reversal. First, we're the servants. We're the ones who are receiving the bridegroom, receiving whoever comes to our door and knocks. And then it flips on its end, and the one who comes is the one serving us. We find inner rewards in our minds, in our hearts, our spirits, when we are ready, not with the right look, dressed, or the right tool in our handbag, but we're ready for action when we have the right frame of mind, or the right words for a hurting friend or when we're in the right place at the right time and we respond the way God wants us to. The best preparation for this type of readiness is time spent with God. About a century ago, R.A. Torrey commented about the effect of our prayers on our readiness for God's way of life. Now, this was not too many decades after the Civil War, so he uses that idea of battle, maybe spiritual battle. We've heard that phrase. The reason why many fail in battle is because they wait until the hour of battle. The reason why others succeed is because they have gained their victory on their knees long before victory, long before battle came. Anticipate your battles, he says. Fight them on your knees before temptation comes. And you will always have victory. The temptation is to hold. It's to catch. And Jesus tells us to release. Nellie Meyer, with her Buick's tank half full, three quarters full, took the future into her own hands. She was trying to be prepared for everything earthly. And sometimes we do the same. What would happen then if we left the future up to God? What would happen if we left our future up to God alone? Be ready for anything, not out of fear, but out of faith. Little flock, little flock. God the shepherd has given us everything that we need. Let's pray. Holy God, you are a generous and loving and hospitable Lord. Thank you for providing treasures for us on earth and in heaven. And guide us, O God, to set our treasure with you and not in the things that we see. 
We pray in the name of Jesus, our Lord Christ. Amen.